Hi, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. This episode is recorded on Thursday, June 21st, 2018, starting just after 4.10, it's actually 4.14 p.m. in Denver, Colorado, and this will be the 162nd episode of the show. For more information about how to subscribe to the podcast and help support the production of future episodes by becoming a patron, please visit theastrologypodcast.com slash subscribe. In this episode, I'm going to be talking with Austin Kopic and Kelly Surtees about the astrological forecast for July of 2018. Uh, hey, guys, welcome back. Hey, Chris. Hey, guys. I feel like I have not uh, gotten enough of you guys over the past few weeks, so we're already back again to talk about the next the forecast for the next few weeks. It's kind of cool to be back in our normal groove, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does feel like we're going to get back to normal, I think, finally with this episode. And I think we've all, all almost recovered from UAC and gotten caught up at this point. And today is actually the the um, summer solstice. It's the ingress of the sun into tropical cancer, uh, which is the first day of summer in the northern hemisphere. So it's kind of fitting that we're recording it today. Yeah, it's nice. Very cool. cool. You know, uh, just on that note, I always it always seemed a little strange to me that that the sun wasn't given any sort of special recognition or bonus points um, when it, you know, when it's uh, at the moment when it's on a solstice or an equinoctial point in a lot of traditional material. I'm sure we could find some some points off to the side that recognize that, but in my experience, the um, the so the 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 solstices and equinoxes have a very particular feeling. And I notice that it is um, additionally intensified during the hour of the sun on that day and during the day of the sun that is closest uh, to that angle. Yeah. Um, go ahead, Kelly. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, that's really cool. I hadn't even thought about thinking about the sun hour for the day and then obviously Sunday, the Sunday closest to the solstice or the equinox. Yeah. I mean, a lot of there are a lot of religious observances that are scheduled like that. Right. It'll be like, okay, so, you know, first time there's a blah, 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 newer full moon after the sun hit crosses that angle. And then on this planetary day, because it's keyed to that. Yeah. I mean, that's where Catholic or Christian Easter comes from. It's you look for the equinox, then they watch for the next full moon. And the following Sunday is Easter Sunday, not in the Greek Orthodox tradition, but in sort of Christian or Catholic, like the general Christian faith, if you like. Yeah, and not right. just not just Christian. That's uh, not just Christian because there's Jewish festivals that are done like that as well. And I saw a bunch of uh, videos on Facebook today of people meeting at at Newgrange or meeting at Stonehenge, uh, where there's a thing where everybody gets together and watch, watches the summer solstice because that alignment of Stonehenge is partially set up in order to identify it as a sort of like um, calendar. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's interesting then that in so many different cultures, the solstices and equinoxes do play that important role in terms of uh, watching those important turning points in the year. But you're right, Austin, that it's weird that it's almost not like in modern astrology and like with like Noel Till, for example, they use the Aries point as like an important sensitive point that they mm-hmm. talk about frequently as like an interpretive principle. But you're right that that's not otherwise, I don't know if there's anything like analogous to that in traditional astrology. Right. Well, it's just like, you know, if we're just um, looking at the like strength and condition of the sun, for mm. example, if somebody has the sun at one degree cancer, um, that's the sun at a very important point. You know, uh, in the north um, here, 
that's like the brightest sun that you get, right? You'd think that the sun would like get a smiley face for that. Yeah. I mean, they do have with the the exaltation, at least it's keyed into that where theoretically, at least according to Ptolemy, part of the reason why the sun is exalted in Aries is because that's when it starts increasing in light and the days start becoming longer and the nights becoming shorter. So this, this notion of raising it up or the light being raised up, whereas it has its fall or its depression in Libra where uh, you hit the fall equinox and the days start becoming shorter and the light is seen to decrease. So yeah, yeah that it's definitely that it's not that they weren't aware of that and that it's not factored in uh, to various structures. It's just um, it's just one of those things that I don't know. Maybe it's it's so it's so obvious nobody needed to mention it or write it down. <laughs> I don't know, um, but it's it's a thing. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I have noticed when I've worked with clients who are like zero, one, or two degree suns in Cancer or Capricorn, there's a little interpretive principle that I work with them around the idea of their life having this more of an extreme quality because they're bo- they're ter- they're born at those sort of turning points or extreme points of the mm-hmm. sun. So that idea of the seesaw or the the highs and lows being a little bit more exacerbated. Right. It's the, the solstices are both the points of maximum polarity between um, light and night. Yeah. Yeah. Between and it, light and darkness. And if we're looking at it, like not just from the position, but from the, from one position on earth, but from the earth, you know, position, um, you're getting um, night over, you know, you're getting night over light on one half and you're getting light over night on the other half. You have both versions of the, of um, the least balanced version of that. And I suppose those two together balance each other. But like you, I think what you just said is it makes a lot of sense that there'd be a lot of, um, there'd be a tendency to experience, um, massive polarizations rather than, you know, ready, steady, even Steven. Which is a more typical Cancer Capricorn sort of interpretation. So it's almost like bringing in the visual phenomenon behind the sign features. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, yeah, and again, I think that, uh, I don't know, some of the, you know, they're the things that we lay over the explicitly visual and they're all very useful, you know, houses, signs, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but there is that, you know, the, 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 the type of motion, the type of light, um, et cetera, et cetera, is, you know, it's a, I wouldn't say, uh, it, it's an underlying layer. It's a more primordial layer. Like you can do astrology you could do some astrology without houses but you couldn't do it without the light and motion position <laughs> of the planets um so anyway it's a good yeah. point because it is the solstice today which i don't even think we realize when we plan this yeah i mean it's good we didn't i think we were just looking for a good chart and like tomorrow's chart was like way worse so <laughs> yes. that was that was our consideration so speaking of that, before we get too far, too much further afield with other discussions, there was a couple of news and announcement topics. So one of them I really wanted to make sure we mentioned at the top of the show is the giveaway we're doing this month because I was sent the Association for Young Astrologers and the editor of their journal sent me three copies of their newly released journal, which is titled The Ascendant. And we have three copies to give away to uh, patrons this month. There's the ascendant so volume two of their journal was just released the last one was released what like three or four years ago i think right austin Mm, yeah four i think i think it was 2014 that it came out 
Okay. And you were the president of AYA then, and that was like one of the major things that you you did in your presidency is like you helmed AYA when they released their first print journal. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so they've now done a follow-up and it's definitely um, bigger and better and, and looks even nicer. Like somehow they've found a way to improve on the layout and everything else. Has a bunch of great articles in it. They did a launch party, which I think we already mentioned at the United Astrology Conference in Chicago last month. Um, but yeah, it's a really great journal. It's being edited by Jen Zart uh, with other contributions from uh, a ton of different astrologers uh, who you can see on their website. So if you, you can find out more information about that at youngastrologers.org, uh, I believe. That's right. Yeah, Austin? Mm-hmm. Yeah, youngastrologers.org. And they've got a big post right now on their front page for volume two of The Ascendant. So check that out, and I will announce the winners of that giveaway to patrons here in the next few days. Um, yeah. That's exciting. I forgot to buy a copy at UAC, which was dumb of me, and so now I'm just waiting for mine to arrive in the post. Yeah, it was one of those publications where they sent like a huge stack to UAC, and a bunch of them, like with Austin's book, sold, didn't sell out completely, but they sold like a ton of copies of it. So it was nice to see it was being well-received and to see you know, with the Association for Young Astrologers, it's always been not just about young astrologers, but people that are new to the community. So it's not actually limited in that way in terms of age, but just helping to bring and integrate new people who are or just finding the field into the community, uh, whatever their their age is. And I think you can really see that in the people sort of that they they promoted and, and gave a platform to in this issue of the Ascendant. Yeah, well, and as uh, I and probably you explained endlessly when I was president. It's the association for young astrologers, not of. And so, you know, um, if you're against young astrologers, then I guess you, you know, you shouldn't support the organization, but you don't, are you for that? Because if you're for that, then that's what the organization is. Yeah. And I think um, things like Aya have been really great because we've seen, as we mentioned, again, not just to, not to rehash everything from our UAC discussion, but there were so many new people and so many young people at the conference last month that it really did seem to indicate a major generational shift where for a long time there was just this question, you know, where are the younger astrologers? And I feel like they've finally arrived. So I'm glad there's organizations like Aya that are helping to make that happen and helping to encourage that and give people a leg up once they do get into the community in terms of finding out what resources are available. Um, and one of the things that I love, they just relaunched their new yeah. website, is they've got the um, MP3 download section. So one of the major benefits to becoming a member of AYA is that as soon as you become a member, you get access to a library of um, audio downloads that astrologers have donated to the organization, which you can download and just listen to from different astrologers. Yeah. And so it's completely free. Once you're a member, you can just go and listen to all these lectures the other thing, oh, um, we're just getting info here that that download was actually implemented under Austin's tenure. So we should uh, <laughs> make mention of that. I'm not sure is that if that's true or not. I feel no. I think we had that a long time ago, but oh, there was well, probably a better version of it that you guys implemented. Yeah, you just couldn't. Uh, so what Kate did, um, who did the website during my tenure, was um, basically just make that a page on the website that if the person logged in as a member, they could just download all of it. I I, I don't believe that was actually, I, uh, yeah, I, I don't believe that was a feature earlier. I think that um, that's what Kate was saying. 
Okay. Yeah, I think it was. That was why I joined the organization originally in like 2005 or something. So we may have lost the functionality at some point. Right. I know that the files, the files were um, there. Um, yeah. Well, when yeah. Uh, I took over there, that, that was not uh, in place. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. I mean, the other thing the IA crew do is they have this free dinner and drinks once a month with guest lecturers. So you can, is you know, for members, it's kind of like an open call, sit down, have a chat, very sort of casual, informal. But I do think they're doing some really good work to help encourage people to participate or connect with other astrologers. So it's good to give them a shout out. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And creating a, a sense of community, especially with those dinner and drinks, uh, webinar series which is another thing that you guys started i think during your tenure right austin Mm -hmm. yeah cool yeah well the idea was um instead of doing lectures have a lecturer have somebody who knows about something you know and do like a little just 20 minute casual talk and then spend the rest of the hour hour and a half talking with that person about it the idea was uh inspired by uh, conferences actually, where you sit around with the speakers after they give the talk and, you know, really get to get into it. And so the, the idea is to try to recreate that to some degree digitally. Definitely. Yeah. And that's actually doing something new and unique rather than just rehashing the same webinar format that everybody's doing at this point. Yeah. I think it was a good idea. And, um, uh, Aaliyah and Nick Civitello and I, and then, and Joe Gleason all got that, um, moving. Cool. All right. Um, well, yeah, people can find out more information about the journal at youngastrologers.org, and you can pick up a copy by ordering it straight from their website. Uh, cool. All right. So are there any other announcements? Do you guys have any news or announcements you want to mention before we move on? I have just opened registration for my next online astrology class, which is a four-week part or four-part class on predicting with progressions. So that starts July 9th for anyone who's interested in that. Awesome. So it's a four-week class on prog- on progressions? Yeah. So there'll be live classes every Monday night starting July 9th, and then the video down live, down- downloads and all the resources are there for people as well. I'm losing my words and we're only getting started. All right. We'll get, we'll get warmed up here in the next few minutes. It's pr- perhaps you just haven't found them yet. That's true. That, that could be it. So I'll also be teaching a month-long class on aspects, you know, just fundamentals. What are aspects? How do they work? How do they intersect with, you know, how do you, how do you put planets together? What effect do they have upon one another? And so that's a combination of live sessions and recorded material and lectures. So I've been doing some of my classes this year. Instead of doing everything live, um, you know, I'm, I have the, the lecture. A lot of the lecture and teaching portion is recorded, and then we spend the live portions getting into it and doing examples and, you know, dialoguing, going back and forth. And so I've been doing the my fundamentals class this year that way, and I really like it. I like having live time that's not just presenting. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm, like, I'm glad that uh, teachers are starting to incorporate things like that. Um, mm. As we move it more into doing webinars and digital things, that that interactive component isn't being underplayed. Yeah, it's it's important, and I've you know I've got I don't know five years of recording uh, teaching aspects, and I, I admit that I was uh, somewhat dreading. I was like, oh, do I, you know, am I going to be able to summon enthusiasm to give exactly the same talk? And then I realized I didn't have to. 
um, and that I could, you know, actually talk with, you know, spend time talking with people who are learning it and applying and incorporating it, which has spontaneity and energy. So hopefully good for me, good for everybody else. And that just runs all of July. Okay. Awesome. Uh, as for me, the only announcement I have is I think I, I did a talk in Toronto right after UAC where I did a three-day workshop and it opened with a talk on titled What is Hellenistic Astrology? And it actually ended up being a really good talk. Or I w- I've given it a few times, but that was the, my favorite version of that talk. So I think I'm going to release the recording of that for sale on my website, on my consulting site, chrisbrennanastrologer.com, because there's a lot of people that still don't understand what's appealing or, or why you would want to study ancient astrology, especially if you already have a background in modern astrology. So I'm going to release that talk for people that would like a sort of a preview and the, the high points or like the cliff notes version of you know what is there that's interesting or valuable in studying the older traditions of astrology, especially from a technical standpoint in terms of specific techniques. So I'll put a link to that in the description page for this episode. And cool. uh, yeah, I think that's it. Nice. All right. So usually we do a pre-show discussion. I don't have a lot of discussions lined up though, or a lot of topics. The only topic that I thought about mentioning is, as I mentioned to both of you at UAC, I was like, I've been wrestling for a few months now with this idea of maybe wanting to do a monthly astrology column of some sort, like a monthly horoscope column, either in video format or audio or maybe written, although I'm leaning towards doing it in video format. Uh, because I feel like at some point I'll hit the limit or I'm getting close to hitting the limit of like the audience that you can reach when you're doing primarily like advanced astrology discussions like we do on the podcast. And seeing some new people or seeing how effective some astrologers are at being able to draw in new astrologers by having a more general sort of sun sign column, uh, it's becoming like more appealing to me just as a way to reach out to the community and bring more astrologers into the community and allow them to then make the transition into intermediate and more advanced forms of astrology. So I was really thinking about that at UAC, and then afterwards I saw, and I think I mentioned it to both of you, and afterwards I saw Joe Gleason start on Twitter a, a, a thread where she was encouraging and, and sort of laying down a challenge to astrologers to write at least a monthly sun sign column and saying that uh, contrary to some popular beliefs about that being too generic or being like negative somehow in astrology because it's so broad that that was actually both useful for the community but also a useful practice for astrologers because it strengthens many of the abilities that you need to look at symbolism and, and understand symbolism and write about it and other things along those lines. Um, where do you guys? I think we've talked about this before, but where do you guys come down? Both of you have written columns at various points, or, or are currently still writing columns, right? Yeah, my uh, yeah. I'm supposed to have one out today, but I don't think it's getting done. <laughs> Other things, <laughs> and, that, and that's the part that actually worries me is that I writing dailies, for example, I feel like would be super difficult. It's intense. Doing- dailies yeah. are intense. So you have done dailies, Kelly? Oh yeah, for three or four years. And the column I had was with a like a cell phone or a mobile phone company in Australia back when stuff was just starting to go out via phones and they wanted specifically love or relationship themed horoscopes. So it wasn't even as though you could do general topics every day. What is the love horoscope for this sign? So it was, okay. it was very intense. Yeah. Um, but it that's was even good. more restrictive. It, 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 yeah. I mean, in, in the end, that's when I think I was like, you know, 
after you've done a column for somewhere in the three to five year range, you sort of get to your point where you're like, okay, I'd like to try a different format or a different focus. Mm-hmm. Um, and Austin, you might've noticed that over your years of doing different columns too. Yeah. Well, you know, I wrote under a pseudonym from 2005 right. to 2010. So it was at that five year mark that, uh, that I switched out of that. Yeah. And I've switched it up a couple times. Um, not, not my name. I only switched my name once. <laughs> um, but you know, like I, um, started experimenting with dailies and, you know, last year, actually one year ago, I switched from doing a weekly column to a decanly column. And I've written monthlies and not written monthlies. And, you know, um, yeah, you got to yeah. keep it fresh. Yeah. Yeah. I've had contracts over the years where I've written weeklies for magazines in different countries around the world, monthlies. I did week. Yeah. It's, it's, I found it to be really good for developing my vocab. You know, if you've got the same aspect happening that day, you've got to put a different spin on it or find some different ideas. And uh, it really, I also found it was really beneficial to help me really understand the nuances in some of the smaller cycles that we don't normally pay attention to. So right. it's something I, I often suggest to people to do. And I think that's where Joe was coming from on Twitter was it's just a really good practice for people to try. Um, yeah. Well, and it will push your vocabulary to the max. Yeah. You can only refer to dreamy Neptune so many times. Yeah. And depending um, on your editor, sometimes they're like, you can say that in one horoscope. And if you want to talk about Neptune in each, you have to find a different way of saying it. So yeah, in, indeed. Um, I, I discovered in, I think, 2014 that I could use anesthetic to describe yes. Neptune. And Good then word. I, I abused, I abused that ruthlessly to the point where an editor, shout out, uh, to Jen Zart, um, still makes fun of me for when I use anesthetic Neptune. Cause you got obsessed. Well, I, it's just sort of, yeah, you know, you only have so many adjectives and adverbs and all that. Um, and so I, I, I discovered the other day that it could be analgesic Neptune. Neptune has that, that pain killing uh, quality sometimes. Dulling the edges. So Chris, we're very excited about this, obviously. I think you should totally, and I don't think that you should do it video or verbally. I think you should, um, lock yourself in the writing box and know our pain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, well, and I, I know how much more painful that would be because I'm a slow, painstaking writer uh, with Saturn conjunct uh, Mercury. So, but with a video, I could probably just force myself to, to just write some bullet points and like say it for each sign. But 12 signs, actually, when I think about that, sounds like a lot having to write 12 separate columns. What do you have a word count if you were to write or do you have a time limit? Like this is where I'm like, how are you going to structure it? Is it 200 words a sign or two minutes a sign or is it 10 minutes a sign and 500 words a sign? Because these yeah, will all be considerations. I, I, haven't, I haven't thought out any of that. I just thought it would be a really interesting challenge to like see how much like advanced astrology concepts I could take. Because one of the things is I, I really admire you guys and your ability to do that and to do what we do on these forecast episodes where we talk about the alignments sort of generally speaking and how some of them might manifest because that's I've always relied on you guys almost as a crutch for that because my primary focus has always been natal astrology and to second secondarily electional astrology and I'm always focused on working with individual charts and the individual manifestation of how a specific transit is going to result you know in a person's life and so it's not a strength that's as well developed for me being able to talk about you know, mundane transits just in general. 
Um, but I think I could approach that better and would have a much easier time if I was talking about it with respect to specific rising signs. Because mm-hmm. then it's basically just like you're using whole sign houses, you're talking about the chart as if it's the person's rising sign or you know derivative houses from their sun sign, and then just see what techniques I can throw at that from my normal toolbox that would be like useful and informative and, and things like that. Obviously, it'll still have its limitations. Like I'm thinking about things like sect that I may not be able to use sect, or if I refer to sect, I'm going to have to like almost explain it uh, very quickly in the process. But so it's still Chris, be an interesting challenge. Chris, one thing I did in regard to that is um, in the you know horoscope section, there's a little disclaimer like, hey, these are horoscopes. You know, this is not the same as like an in-depth chart reading, but there's some value here. And I suggest that people read from their uh, read their sun sign uh, if they're born during the day, and that they read from the moon uh, if they know it if they're born during the night. So at least you're drawing houses from the sect light rather right. than just you know one point. That totally makes sense. Yeah. So I don't know. I hope that doesn't. I don't know. Uh, water down my brand or something like that. I know some people have mentioned that as a potential downside, but. I always thought it would be an interesting experiment to, or challenge to try, so I might give it a shot in the next next month or two. Yeah, you should just do it. You should do it at least once. Yeah. I mean, part of uh, you know, brand concerns aside, it's a lot of work. It's going to take up a lot of mental real estate. Yeah. Um, and so you, I, knowing your schedule, I somewhat doubt you could do all of that and what you're doing already. But you know, who knows? Yeah. Yeah, and that's my big. I don't want it to become this like noose around my neck. Like I remember hanging out years ago at conferences with like Rick Levine, and we'd be hanging out and having great conversations about like synchronicity and like arguing about whether astrology was causal or acausal. And then it would be like three in the morning, and he'd say, "Well, I've got to go. I've got to go write my daily column." Yeah, and I, I was I've always... been there with Rick for exactly that moment several times, and I'm right. like, "Really? At three thirty in the morning, you can do that?" I might have to, but I can't at 3.30. I've I've done that a few times when I was doing a weekly for a newspaper in Sydney and I'd get, I don't know, I don't know how I would get it done, but it'd be, you know, midnight. I'd be like, par out and just smash it out. Um, But Yeah. And I I don't think I have that kind of discipline. uh, So I could never do dailies, but we'll see. We'll see if I can get it together. Try monthly. monthly. Yeah. Try monthly. I'm I'm excited for you to I I would lo- I think it'd be really interesting for people to hear how you find the experience. Yeah, maybe I can do a report next month uh, when I say I'm not I'm to never put doing any pressure this. on you. <laughs> right. Little little Mars retrograde experiment. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. All right. Well, that was my my pre-show discussion. That's really all I've got. But maybe it's a good time to transition into talking about the main topic for this episode, which is the forecast for July. Are are you guys ready to get into it? Um, as ready as I'm gonna be. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's start with the let's just start with like the chart for the first day of July to get our grounding about where everything because we're we're recording this about a week early. So we're still in the thick of you know, Mars is just getting ready to station, uh retrograde, Neptune recently stationed uh as well. Uh, so we're still kind of in the thick of the main transits that we were talking about last month for June. So it might be good to start off with just where we're going to be in in about a week and a half here on July July first. That's a good idea. Okay. So here then is the chart for those watching the 
video version for July 1st at about noon here in Denver. So we start out the month just to give a quick rundown of the planets of the sun. Obviously, a week from now after the solstice is going to be around nine degrees of Cancer. Mercury's in Leo. Uh, it's going to be in Leo for the entirety of July because it's going to slow down and go retrograde there later this month. Uh, Venus is in Leo as well, and the North Node is also in Leo. Jupiter, of course, is in Scorpio, where it's actually going to station direct later this month, and that's one of the most positive, I think, transits that all of us are, are going to focus on as the silver lining to what otherwise looks like a pretty tense month towards the end, around the time of the full moon. Uh, Saturn and Pluto, of course, are in Capricorn. Mars is retrograde in Aquarius, and Uranus is obviously still in Taurus for its second month, and Neptune is in Pisces. So, where do we start for July, or what's the first thing? Do we want to focus on like the major highlights of July, or do we want to go through chron- chronologically with the first week? Oh, uh, let's do some chronological. I think that's the- a little easier for people to follow. Yeah. So the the thing that stands out about um, the first couple days of July is that we have Mercury in Leo, which has very recently ingressed. Um, It enters Leo at the very end of June. And so it's not so much that Mercury's in Leo that draws my attention. It's that it spends those first couple days opposing Mars, which has just stationed retrograde less than a week before. So that Mars is broadcasting strong. Mm. And so that puts Mercury, you know, if we remember kind of basics of astrology, Mercury often holds the megaphone up to whatever planets it, it strongly aspects. And so we have all of the, you know, all of that, that red beam coming from Mars um, being given a megaphone um, by Mercury. And so that means, you know, inflamed communications, um, you know, agitated thought processes, uh, potentially harsh words, et cetera, et cetera. You know, adrenalized thinking. Yeah, I actually have a bit of a, I agree completely, Austin. The Mercury Mars opposition looks like July 5th. Um, I think there is a little bit of that maybe mental angst just with the Mars South Node together anyway. And I think. I completely agree with what you're saying that when Mercury does apply to that Mars, it's going to come out and uh, we're going to hear maybe not necessarily the happiest things, or we're going to find a way to express things that need to be said that might be a little bit contentious. Yeah. Well, there's a, you know, with, with Mercury planning on spending so long in Leo, there's a lot, you know, there's a lot that needs to get figured out. Um, and it doesn't start in a, in a clear way at all. It starts with, it starts with Mercury sextile, or excuse me, Mercury squaring Uranus Mm. in Taurus, you know, right upon entry into Leo, right? So that's kind of a, um, you know, a shock or a reorienting or a disorienting of the conversation and the thought process. And then Mercury heads directly into Mars. And then after opposing Mars, Mercury will then begin to slow down and and dwell in the territory that it encountered just past opposition to Mars, right? And it's you know the um, Leo is not the easiest place for Mercury to be, Mm-mm. right? Like Mercury needs the temperature turned down a little bit. It needs things to be a little cooler 
to get that, to facilitate that objective quality, which Mercury has, um, that logical objective quality. And the presence of the North Node um, is uh, in, in Leo is not helpful for that uh, for that that clarity or calmness that Mercury does well within. Yeah, and uh, to give some dates, it looks like it's like Mercury's already in Leo, of course, as you said, by the beginning of the month. But it so it's already headed for that opposition with Mars right right from the the get go. But mm-hmm. eventually it peaks and it reaches the exact opposition. It looks like around July fourth, July fifth, at um, eight degrees of Leo and eight degrees of Aquarius. So that's the sort of peak of that aspect uh, in terms of the opposition and some of what you're talking about there. And then eventually the retrograde station happens later in the month, about July 25th or 26th. And what does Mercury come back to? What is the uh, uh, direct station degree? I don't remember it offhand. I'm going to check for you guys. I just looked. Uh, it looks like 11. Mid, mid somewhere. 11. Yeah, okay. so it doesn't come back. We, don't, we only get one uh, of the Mercury-Mars oppositions. Right. Yeah, so I knew it, it didn't hit it again. I just didn't remember because Mars is over. You know, Mars has run back to Capricorn by then. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I just didn't remember how far back it went. Thank you. I mean, I mean that is interesting though because that means very shortly after it hits that opposition with Mars at eight nine Leo, it hits the shadow period. Uh, yeah. Just two days later, on July seventh, yeah. it'll reach eleven degrees of Leo, which is the degree it'll retrograde back to. So there's something about events that start um, clustering and, and taking place or start forming around that time that aren't going to be finished or going to be a precursor to events when Mercury returns back to that degree about a month later. Yeah, I wonder, uh, just looking at that now, just thinking about Mercury and Leo that long, it makes me wonder if the one of the themes that's going to be involved is like a struggle to uncover a truth that can be seen uh, a struggle to show people, um, you know, what's really going on, you know, in whatever area of life, big or small. Because, you know, when when you're looking at fire signs, especially uh, Leo, because it's the sign of the sun, um, there's uh, things get very visual, right? The sun doesn't speak, the sun shows, right? The sun communicates by illuminating so you can see things. And so, mm, I don't know, there seems like there's a I don't know. And also with, you know, just taking into consideration that Mars south node um, in Aquarius opposite, you know, Mars, uh, the Aquarius is very interested in, you know, the truth, the real truth. Mm. And there's, I don't know, there it seems like there's some cutting through, sorting through images um, that's happening there with Mercury, like rethinking the way you see a situation, rethinking the way you present yourself or someone sees you or, you know, rethinking optics. Yeah, and it, it, to pick up what you're saying, Austin, about how being in such a hot sign can be a little bit tricky for Mercury, it, it feels like Mercury's not at its most articulate best, that there's this struggle to find the language or to describe or express uh, and exacerbated by the Mercury-Mars opposition, that it may not be smooth even if you're talking about something very pivotal or significant. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so that's so. definitely a start to the month. Yeah, I mean, and that's all. That's basically the first week or the end of the first week is that the the tension building and that opposition, and then eventually culminating there around the fourth and fifth towards the first week of the month with the some of the verbal sparring or or sort of argumentativeness that sometimes comes along with a Mercury Mars opposition. 
Yeah, and just and in addition to uh, that sort of uh, embodiment of the transit, it's also just not good for Mercury things, right? Like the Mercury Mars stuff will show up when people are traveling. Um, it you know it, it it whenever Mercury is afflicted, like it's opposed by a retrograde malefic, um, you get if you get the kinds of effects that there's some of the kinds of effects people associate with Mercury retrograde because that's the only affliction to Mercury that they're aware of. Um, it'll be martially themed. Um, but whenever Mercury's getting beat up on, there's like, you know, transportation, communication, cogitation, um, these things get, compl- you know, get interfered with. Yeah. The only other maybe just thing to briefly mention in this first part of July is that we have the sun moving through the trines to Jupiter and Neptune. Thank forming- God. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and this is interesting because over the last few weeks, we've had Venus go through this part of the sky and we're just coming as we're recording this, we've just had Mercury go through this part of the sky. So I I am sort of intrigued as to how we'll see that bring, you know, potentially some ease or collaboration or a point of connection or agreement. Uh, But it's a contrasting influence. Um, Sun trine Jupiter, same day, July 5th, and then Sun trine Neptune, I think that comes in around the 8th. Yeah, well, and it's it's interesting because I don't think this is a situation where one fights it out with the other and then you get a, a neutralization result. Mm-mm. I think you'll get both the grand water trine, um, you know, and with if in that it's a trine between Jupiter and Neptune and the Sun in water signs. There's like some nice sort of fuzzy deeper harmony that you'll get from that. Um, it but it it also is more emotional. Right. The normal it makes it brings those waters to the surface. Um, but then, you know, you have this Mercury Mars opposition just, you know, relatively unconfigured. Mm. Right. Both of them like loosely square Jupiter, but they're not really hooked into Pisces or um, or cancer. And so it's a little bit more like there's this like super frictive note that'll fire up and, and you know, people get mad. And then there's this other like you know, um, slow cooking in the, in the sauna, um, or uh, slow cooking in the hot tub, grand water trine thing. And I think you'll get both rather than one canceling the other. Totally. It feels like one area of life is getting this and maybe one area of life is getting the other thing. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. This made, uh, some of the elections for the first part of the month difficult because even though, uh, Lisa found some good charts that we'll talk about in the Auspicious Elections podcast for this month. It's like a lot of it gets ruined by really not wanting to recommend people like start something pivotal like a marriage or a business during this week where you have that Mercury-Mars opposition still forming uh, and kind of wanting to wait until at least after it's separating after the like the the fourth or fifth. Yeah, I'd be very careful around that. Sure. And it's worth noting that there that that opposition occurs on top of the the nodes, which I mentioned briefly. But you know, Mars on the south node, uh, Mercury on the north. You know that 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 presence on the dragon axis um, only makes things more complicated and powerful. Mm. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Um, are there any other? I mean, because it almost so so eventually we get a little bit of a break, and once Mercury clears. Mars, at least, it does apply to Jupiter, which is a nice little sort of ameliorating thing that happens immediately afterwards, in addition to the Sun applying to Jupiter and Neptune for a few days during that time period as well. So it's almost like there's a, a brief 
sort of respite uh, after some of those tensions that culminate towards the end of the first week. Yeah, and there might also be some mm, uh, repair or remediation for some of the the difficulties that the Mars-Mercury opposition caused. One, because Jupiter likes to fix things and make them better. And two, um, it's because Jupiter's in a Mars-ruled sign. And so Jupiter's job in Scorpio, as we've talked about it, is to you know, to fix or do what you can with, you know, with Mars damage, right? Yeah. Like somebody attacked you, but you get justice, right? Um, or, you know, you got into a fight, but you made up or you had a falling out with someone, but you kind of figured out how you can, you know, um, reconcile, right? Like Jupiter, Jupiter's in a sense coming in after, well, in several senses coming in after Mars, in in Mars's territory to possibly figure out repair or healing from it. Yeah, I like that word keyword of healing because that's like a really good core way of getting to what the the function, like the worldly function that the malefics and benefics have, and that the benef the malefics sometimes have this natural function to break things apart, uh, and the benefics have this natural function to heal or to repair things. Right to to reunite to create coherence between pieces yeah. that might have become separate. Yeah, the coherence and the stabilization. So mm -hmm. the the instability of Mercury Mars finding some sort of stable ground by the time Mercury gets to Jupiter. I think that's July 9th. Uh which I think is also the day Venus slips into Virgo or thereabouts. Yeah, it's very close to that. Um so that actually uh brings me to the election this month, which is actually July 9th. Um so I was actually going to have Lisa join us. We were going to have her like come in in a different window and just like, you know, join us in Zoom, but we couldn't get her microphone to work. So we were thinking about just having her join us here and like sit next to me to talk about the election for this month, which is on July 9th. Uh, would that be cool with you guys? Absolutely. Oh, totally. I'm excited okay. to see Lisa. L let me go find her. You guys talk about July 9th or something and I'll be right back. <laughs> we'll talk nope, I'm going to go pee. Okay, I'll talk. I was wait. I was waiting for my for my moment. I'll, I'll be talk. right back. It's fine. All right. Um, that's fine. So I guess I'll just give some thoughts about Venus going into Virgo. One of the things I thought about this is Venus just calming down a little bit. I think Venus in Leo has some great qualities, but it is Venus in a more dramatic sign. Leo is not the most rational sign, as we were saying before. So I think that is also going to help maybe cool tempers or calm things. I know Venus is not in great, um, you know, dignity in Virgo, but there is a practical quality to her there. So that I think Venus moving into Virgo on July 9th can just take some of that edge off. And there you go. Hey, Lisa. Hey, Kelly. It's hey. And Chris, you're here. Can you guys like, do you have enough room there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, think, I think we'll be okay. So we we're just going to talk about the election for- Yeah, so tell us what made you choose this chart. So let me let me put the chart up first. Hold on. This is oh yeah, not this is not the it. correct chart. Okay. So let me find the correct chart. Fantastic. So it was a bit tricky this month, Lisa, working with the Mercury Mars. Yeah, you don't really want to stick that in anyone's wedding chart, do you? No. Yeah, definitely not for things like weddings and even for some other things. Just Yeah, I think you all covered that pretty well. Yeah, so this is a little bit after that, and um, you were all talking about the ninth. So this is a Taurus rising chart. It's one of the rising signs that can get Venus and Jupiter angular mm -hmm. without emphasizing Mars too much. 
because it ends up being a night chart. Um, and so Mars is, you know, is um, more constructive in a night chart. And then the Mercury Mars opposition has passed, as you all were talking about. Excellent. Um, oh, and you get the Mercury yeah. Jupiter square in there. Yeah, this is actually the day that it goes exact. Um, so even though that wasn't um, ruling the ascendant or anything, it's a nice bonus. So there's Mercury and Leo in the fourth applying to square Jupiter in the seventh, almost exactly. And then um, it's Taurus rising. So you've got Venus in the last degree of Leo in the fourth house, and it's a night chart. So Venus is the benefic of the sect. So that's lovely. Um, and I think I messed up the data, but we should give the data. Oh, yeah. So it's July 9th, 2018 at 1.40 a.m. Uh, oh, so it's a later time. degree. Okay. Yeah. So this is for Somehow the night I owls. It with like Uranus right on the ascendant, but I don't think that was the. I thought that was interesting. Choice. I'm like, what are we going to do with Uranus on the ascendant in this <laughs> I chart? Had, I had the same thought. <laughs> yeah, no, that was my typo. So the time is 1:40 a.m. with about 13 degrees or so of Taurus rising. So Uranus is in the first whole sign house. So we are now in the decade of any time you have a fixed sign rising, you're going to get Uranus. Angular, at least by whole sign house, or or anytime you do Taurus rising, you're going to get Uranus in the first whole sign house, but that's that's unavoidable. So it's sort of something we just have to have to deal with. Well, and this time puts the the Mercury Jupiter square, you know, puts Jupiter on the angle, if you like. So it just helps emphasize Jupiter. Okay, right. cool. And this is for the night owls. I like it. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I was wondering when I was trying to make some appointments and things for July, why it was hard to get good times. And I realized after finally going through systematically through the entire month that all the good times are late at night. So not good for business hour appointments, but uh, if you stay up or get up early. Yeah. And this is partially meant to be a sort of fixed star election as well, because it has Taurus rising with Venus Mm. at the very last degree of Leo, sort of within about a degree of conjoining the fixed star Regulus. Mm -hmm. So um, it's definitely focused more on the fourth house because the ruler of the ascendant's in the fourth house. So it might be better for home matters or family matters or sort of more private matters because it's emphasizing the fourth house and a lot of the planets are underneath the horizon. Um, but it's also just generally good because you have such an emphasis on Venus, um, its conjunction with Regulus, and the Moon in Taurus applying to with reception that square with Venus. Yeah, it certainly doesn't hurt, uh, hurt Venus at all to have a little Regulus help. Yeah, I thought that was nice. You know, we were looking at another um, date later once Venus goes into Virgo, um, which you can then have applying to Jupiter. But it's kind of a toss up as to you know which is better. Um, you know, Venus applying to Jupiter versus Venus not being in a um in detriment. Yeah. Yeah. I I I would agree with the call you made here. Yeah, yeah, it was a tight one, but it was just that debate between emphasizing application of benefics versus emphasize emphasizing sign-based dignity. But uh that's something we're gonna talk about and get into a little bit more because we will present that as our alternative, because that's our second favorite election of the month was a Taurus rising election with uh, Venus in Virgo applying to a sextile with Jupiter. So we'll talk about that a little bit more on the Auspicious Elections podcast uh, for patrons, and I'll save that discussion for then. Cool. Cool. All right. All right. Well, I think that's the election <laughs> for the month. Yeah. Uh, so That's great. Yeah. Thanks for coming yeah. in, Lisa, and yeah. sharing this with us. Yeah, yeah. nice well, to see you all. It's, it's, nice, to, to see you. Uh, it's nice to hear you 
unpacking the choices that you made and the logic behind the elections. You know, Chris right. does a, a good job, but you, you know, you actually were the one stressing about them. And so it's nice right. to, you know, to, to hear your, your process. Yeah. Well, thanks. Yeah. It's nice to see you all and be on here for a few minutes. Um, yeah. So I hope that this is, um, this is a good chart from your recommendation as well. The thing that I was worried about a little bit is putting the ascendant later. That's why I put Jupiter on the descendant. Um, because I know that if you do late Taurus, a lot of people are going to think about algal yeah. in terms of the ascendant, you know, 26, 27 degrees. Um, you could shift it down there and get like the mid heaven into Aquarius instead of Capricorn. Um, but then you got to, you know, it depends on how much you take those things into account. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. Cool. Yep. All right. I like this. Well, yeah. And- I don't think I would have done a late Taurus rising for right. this type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And people can find out more about uh, your website and your electional stuff at lisashime.com, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Cool. All right. And we'll record the auspicious elections episode in the next few days. All right. Sounds good. All right. Nice Nice to see you. Bye. 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 See you later. Bye. Super cool. Yeah. So that is the election for the month. And that is taking us to that first week of, you know, the beginning of the second week of July, I guess, at this point. And the only thing that does start coming up at this point that's interesting that was also mentioned is, of course, we start getting that opposition of the sun and Pluto, which is the only major like downside to this chart that is like the thing that comes after a bunch of those trines that we've yeah. just been talking about. Um, do you guys know when that, that aspect must culminate around what, like the 12th or the something? The 12th, yeah, at 20 Cancer Cap. Okay. Let me pull up the... It's right animated. on the day of the eclipse, like the partial, well, the new moon slash partial eclipse, I think is the same day, which is at 20 Cancer. Okay. So that's, and that's our first lunation of the month mm-hmm. on July 12th, right? Yes. July 12th. Okay. Uh, so, we, so we have, and this is funny because, well, on the one hand, normally that would be something um, pretty striking and seemingly a little bit tense what's funny about this new moon very almost exactly opposite pluto or very closely opposite pluto at 20 cancer and 20 capricorn is that that actually ends up looking kind of like quaint compared to the full moon that takes place <laughs> later in the month it's well, benign and the, relative and the, the the full moon which june ends with um is was conjunct saturn within a degree or so yeah oh nice yeah yeah it's so, a, it's a string of rough lunations it is. So July was Saturn and or June was Saturn and the July full moon will be Mars. Yep. Yes. Brilliant. All right. Well, nonetheless, so we still at least at this stage in the month by July 12th, we finally have a new moon, our, our first lunation of the month, which is a new moon at 20 degrees of Cancer opposite to Pluto. And that's really the main thing it's closely configured with. It does have that separating trine from Neptune and a very wide separating trine from Jupiter, but uh, it it really seems like it's primarily characterized by that opposition with Pluto. Yeah, and it's one of those lunations that's close enough to the nodes to be sort of shadowed, but not quite a full eclipse. It's it's one of those that makes you you know um, think about what your working definition of an eclipse is. And, you know, if, if nobody can visually see like a, you know, shadow, is that an eclipse? Um, but technically it's an eclipse, you know, there, there's, it's one of those, um, on the edge. uh, Yeah. Those line straddling eclipse or not. 
which yeah. you know to a certain degree it, the it kind of just doubles down on the mm, on the darkness theme <laughs> that pluto uh, you know it's a it's a the new moon exactly opposite pluto there's already you know we're we're gonna have to we're going to have to find a uh, shadow in the symbolism just based on that and then we also have the uh, uh you know we also have this shadow of an eclipse phenomenon yeah it's, i feel like a- sorry go chris I was just going to say, I often feel like I end up falling more on the side of like considering it to be an eclipse when it's right on the edges, where you guys tend to be more thinking that unless it's fully visual, visible, um, unless it's much closer to the nodes, that it's usually not considered an eclipse, right? Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I've, I've, um, I think I, I, I was rather vociferous uh, about one of these instances a few years ago. I don't know. It's, you know, it's, it's not the same thing. Um, I, I think the, not. it's important not to conflate, um, you know, a full solar eclipse with, um, you know, just barely just a brush of shadow. Um, right. but it, it's significant that there is a brush of shadow. It's yeah. different from a normal new moon in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for me, because it's something that's because part of the reason is that that it's not there yet is it's something that's building up because the nodes are getting ready to fall back into or to retrograde back into Cancer and Capricorn. At which point we will start having a series of eclipses taking place in those signs for a couple of years in Cancer and Capricorn. But this is kind of like building up to that, or is like a preview of that almost because yeah. we get this little barely sort of mini almost eclipse that takes place, and it's almost like a a preview of what's to come. Yeah, it absolutely is. Um, and so we get our first installment uh, in the Cancer, or the first full installment in the Cancer Capricorn series um, six months from now. And then, you know, uh, and then a year from now, it'll be, you know, fully right in the middle of Cancer and Capricorn. And those will be fun with eclipses on top of Saturn and Pluto. Right. Yeah. Definitely something to watch out for, but we get an eclipse on Mars that we'll talk about later in this month. Uh, Yeah, I mean, the shadows, the darkness, I mean, you know how I put words together. I'm like a new moon opposite Pluto, partial eclipse. It's an invitation to explore Pluto territory. And some of us will be maybe dragged in there like Persephone and others will be like, oh, that's interesting. I might go in a little bit here. I love that. That's a great uh, analogy. Um, yeah, I mean, what would going in a little bit at the, the temporary uh, sort of tour, like a tourist uh, attraction of of darkness, like going to see, you know, like, one of those weird, yeah, Dante's spheres or something? I've come down to the first couple of lay- circles, and I think I've had enough now. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, and it'll just dip- yeah. Sorry, go. Just dipping your toe into like the third circle, circle of, of hell. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I mean, we often do have such a dark interpretation of Pluto and it is dark, but it is, there can be some, you know, value in going a little deeper or questioning things that you normally skim across the surface of. And I'm not saying that's comfortable, but I'm saying that it can still be a valuable process. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. If, if you don't... um you know, a, a basement is dark, um, but you need to do maintenance down there, especially if there's some flooding or if you've got rats, right? You know, life uh, life entails um, the areas described by the malefics, right? You know, you have yes. to 
<laughs> um, there are there are a lot of things that are aren't pleasant, um, or they're they have their own vibe. We just wouldn't call them pleasant. But yeah, so this is a you know new moon in Cancer opposite Pluto with a little shadow over it. Emotional depth comes yeah, to mind as a totally. Theme. And yeah. we do you know we do have um, you know we still have Jupiter and Neptune holding it down in water signs. So there is this you know water sign quality to it, but. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It, certainly, um, I would. And so sometimes it's, what should I say? Sometimes there's that mm, going deeper into something, that volitional exploratory quality with Pluto. Just as often, um, I, I see the welling up of things from mm. a deeper level. You know, like there, the, there will definitely be some, some feelings that'll well up for a lot of people on the, 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 the new moon opposite Pluto. Um, and that, you know, sometimes you give, you know, I, I don't know my experience of those emotional depths with myself and my clients, all that is that a lot of times what it's almost like your sewer system burping up raw emotional sewage, but there are like, like, you know, there are three or four high quality gemstones, uh, like hidden within it. And you have to like sort through the muck to find the prize. Yeah. I mean, from a therapeutic perspective, it's that idea of sitting with the uncomfortable emotions to see what they're pointing you towards. What is the idea or the truth or the belief or the value that might be unconscious inside you, but you get there by thinking, well, I'm angry about this, or I'm really frustrated about this, or I feel controlled over here. And where? Do, what does that point you to in terms of what needs your attention? Yeah. I would right. say like, what's, what's inside that feeling? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you mentioned Kelly earlier that was making me think of the idea of like ignorance is bliss and the notion of whether that's true. And and most people, if they were given a choice between seeing, seeing the truth, even if it was difficult uh, versus not, it's a, you know, like that it's kind of cliche, but like the matrix, you know, like almost 20 years now, I can't believe it's been almost 20 years since the matrix came out, but it's still a good analogy of like the a Pluto type experience of, you know, Neo is like woken up and realizes what the real world is and what, that there's this been this false world or illusion sort of pulled over everyone's eyes. And oftentimes they're given a choice. And like one of his, one of the people that has been woken up, Cypher like makes the choice to go back in and makes this statement that, that ignorance is bliss. Whereas I think most people when presented with that option of having that sudden revelation of what the truth of something is, would choose to to keep that even if it's difficult or painful or traumatic. That's what that that new moon opposite Pluto sort of feels like like to me. Hmm. Yeah, it's, there's a beautiful symbolism in this. Yeah, I think that there's um, I don't know. I think there's a lot to. I think this 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 one's going to burp up um, stuff that's going to need a lot of processing. And I think that, you know, and that the, to a certain degree, that's based on what else happens over the ensuing weeks. You know, new moons, lunations in general have an effect beyond the moment at which they happen, right? And so this is setting a stage, right? It's a moment, but it's also setting a stage for at least the next two weeks. Um, and so you know, we also remember Mercury's, you know, getting deeper into that shadow, um, Mars is on its way back to the South node, you know, like there it's stuff, there's complicated stuff getting churned up here. And the, the new moon speaks to that speaks to the, you know, the, the depth, the layer 
um, from which the, the stuff to be churned and processed and separated and sorted um, is coming up. Yeah, and it's that recognition that you won't churn and sort and separate all on this one 24-hour period. You will be mulling it over and ruminating it and attempting to digest it for at least the next two weeks as we move into the uh, the next lunation. Sure. And, and one of those you mentioned, Austin, that comes up just a week after this and goes exact is the- Mars finally retrograding and conjoining the south node. Yeah, and this is the second activation of this. I meant to look this up before. First activation was around the 7th or 8th of June. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it looks like this one goes exact around July 20th. 20th. Yeah, July July 20th at 5 Aquarius. Okay. Um, let's see. So that's the same day as the Moon-Jupiter conjunction at 13 Scorpio. Yes. Uh, Mar- Mercury, of course, is getting ready to station retrograde and is only about a week a little under a week away from doing so so this is the thing you were, you've already talked a bit about austin i believe right earlier with the mars south node conjunction um we talked about it a fair amount last month um i did mention it earlier but yeah this is um so you know <clears throat> both mars and the south node have their own variety of of fire um, and there's this separating, purifying quality um, to well to to the south node especially, and you know Mars, Mars south node, you know it's um, how should we say there's a lot uh, there's a lot there around retreat or pulling back or withdrawing um, from identification and engagement engagement with external things or relationships, um, you know, identification with, uh, internal patterns. Um, it's purifying, but it's harsh. Mm. Um, it's, you know, it's, uh, like, as I, as I believe I mentioned last, uh, last month, there was, there was an event some years ago where a bunch of people, um, died in a sweat lodge during a Mars South node conjunction. Cause, and that's purifying in its heat, you know, that's Mars South node, but it's, um, <laughs> it's easy to go excessive with that and in that we're still very much in process with the Mars retrograde. Um, and, you know, with retrogrades, especially Mars and Venus and Mercury, you, there's this sort of mm, different sides of the story coming out during different points in the retrograde. And I try, I, I find it to be generally um, best practice to not um, jump ahead to conclusions, uh, at, you know, in relatively early days. This is less. Th- this is less than three weeks into a cycle that is going to last for a solid two months, and so you know you, you want to be uh, beware of um, burning too bright or trying to um, you know uh, burn a relationship that has problems, like pulling out completely rather than just getting some distance. Um, in general, I think good medicine for this Mars retrograde is like get space um, because there's a lot of stuff that can be processed with a little space. And, you know, um, you know, relationally speaking, you might think that, you know, you might think you need to totally separate from a person or a situation, but just start with a little space and see if that doesn't, you know, that doesn't do the trick, give you the room to uh, to do the the burning and changing that you need to do. Yeah, that idea of space and distance has been something I have definitely had in mind for this Mars retro on the south node. 
you know, thinking about those themes of Aquarius being quite self-contained or self-sufficient or even self-reliant and that idea of if you are feeling really irritated or angry, some alone time or some space like therapeutic distance or healthy distance, if you like, uh, definitely comes through. Because I think, you know, I had this really great word that I was uh, like, Austin should totally approve of this word, um, which is the idea of severing with this Mars South node. And it's not so much because Mars is still in process or still mid retrograde, you don't want to prematurely sever or cut something away. But it's becoming aware of something that might be a little bit festering and then figuring out what are we going to do to manage this, if you like. So it's it's re- revelatory, if you like. And even as I think about the themes of what we're saying for this Mars South Node, plus what we said, you know, for a week earlier with the new moon on Pluto, things are coming to like, things are being stirred up and they're not happy sunshine and roses things. They are darker things or frustrating things or annoyances, but now is a time to attend to those with with a sense of mindfulness, I feel like. Yeah, I agree. One of the, the, the glyph for Mars, or very early in the tradition, about 2,000 years ago, they, ha- they didn't really have glyphs yet. They were just writing the words out for the names of the planets, like Zeus and Helios and um, whatever, Ares. But in Demotic, in the Egyptian tradition, they did actually start developing some glyphs. And the glyph for Mars was actually a knife. Mm. Uh, but it makes me think of that, Kelly, when you say severing as the, the main keyword this month for Mars. Yeah. I mean, I always think of one thing when I did a little bit of medical astro, the idea of Mars as the surgeon's knife. And sometimes, you know, that idea it can be a weapon and this weapon can stab you in the heart and you'll die or you can use it to cut away a cancer from which you can make a full recovery. So it's it's the weapon is becomes, you know, positive or negative or productive, destructive in the hands of the user. And so I think a lot of what we're saying is it's this is the territory and it's what you do with it. You can be really destructive if you fly off the handle and tell someone just to get out or if you think I'm going to take a step back and maybe breathe before I act or react, then we could have something more productive come out of this. Yeah, definitely. And also, um, you know, remember, everybody needs to remember that you might be the person going through this. And so, you know, you need to kind of watch your, watch your temper, get some space, but you could also, this could be your friend or this could be your partner or this could be your mom. Right. And recognizing that this kind of people being in this kind of space is going to be going, is going to be going around. And that the answer might not just be you getting space, but giving people space, mm. even if they don't know how to ask for it, so that you know you don't accidentally step on a landmine. That's a great point, Austin. Yeah, recognizing that space could be the solution, even if the other person in the situation isn't aware of that. Yeah. Well, if people the challenge with go ahead. I was just going to say the challenge with Mars is always, you know, when what is a necessary or uh, important or or conductive. Um, cutting out of something in your life if if something needs to be removed like surgeons you know have to cut out or remove like a cancer from somebody that's growing versus like what's a productive version of that versus what is the other side of mars which is problematic which can be impulsiveness or you know going too far or blowing something out of proportion in the heat of the moment and perhaps you know cutting or severing a relationship that was important that um, if you were not so heated, you might w- have wanted to actually keep around or, or in a few weeks or a few months, once things cool down, 
that you might regret having impulsively cut out from your life? Yep, exactly. Um, for example, we don't we don't casually do surgery, <laughs> right? No. Like you might casually take some ibuprofen uh, or you know. Uh, or uh, even uh, what do they call it? Uh, antibiotics? Um, but like the martial, uh, martial, martial healing is martial, right? Yes. And so you don't you don't just like cut it. You know you don't just like cut off your foot because I don't know. Kind of seems you know kind of seems like a problem. It's hurting Maybe a bit. Yeah. Like it's it can be very difficult to reattach those things <laughs> later. That's a beautiful point, Austin. Yeah, don't do surgery symbol like the symbolism of surgery uh, rashly, I guess, or without con- some consideration first, recognizing that it may be permanent. Well, and people could apply this to their charts just by thinking about, you know, one is Mars and that Mars station or that conjunction with the south node hitting a sensitive part of your chart, especially is it aspecting through a hard aspect, like a conjunction, a square, an opposition within especially a degree, but even maybe three degrees to an important planet in your chart. And if it is secondarily, what house is it falling in in your chart as being a potential area where there could be this theme of, of like severing or separation or, or strife? Yeah, yeah. Well, and one, one of the things that's tied to this um, is that Mars, uh, generally speaking, when we do a Mars separation me. <laughs> person or situation – it is uh, deeply related to issues of power, right? Like this person won't let us be ourselves, so we separate from them, right? Or, you know, this situation, this person is attacking me, or I feel attacked by this person or situation. And so I would, you know, I separate myself from it, right? It's the sep when we're, when we're, um, when we feel like we need to defend, that's when we, that's, you know, that's a, a moment of withdrawal and separation, even if it's just the emotional separation that begins as soon as you enter conflict with someone, even if you're deeply connected to them. Definitely. Um, so, yeah, and just through the ha- through the houses, looking at what I was saying is different um, people where that separation could occur in, in the life, like fourth house parents, fifth house siblings, seventh house relationships, 10th house your career, 11th house your friends, and so on and so forth. Yeah, that's a really good tip for people who are thinking, how is this going to affect me? Yeah, just have a look at the house that the Mars-South node, you know, we've got the Mars-South node conjunction on July 20th, which is basically just a precursor to what's coming up a week later. Yeah, and also um, it's not like uh, these issues are going to introduce themselves out of nowhere on July 20th. No. Um, You know, it should be pretty clear what area of life that Mars is landing in. Um, you know, uh, even before the, the retrograde station in June, um, you know, that's, it, it's not the, <laughs> it'll only be a surprise if you've been totally ignoring, um, that area. Yeah. And that's a good point too, Austin, because this is the second Mars South node conjunction. The first one came through in those first sort of 10 days of June, first 10 to 12 days of June. So yeah, if you've been paying attention, if you're aware of your process, if you're aware of your life. Think back to events from then, and we're just looking at the second act in a story that began in early June. Yeah. And uh, Kelly, I think you just said uh, something that was running through my mind, which is that this and this more south node dynamic, this is a preview. This is going to be put on blast during the eclipse, um, the lunar eclipse right on top of Mars and the south node at the end of the month. Yeah. 
which is, and, yeah. Do you want to do before we get there, Chris? <laughs> uh, yeah, I was just going to say before we get there, because I skipped over and jumped to jam- jumped to the Mars south node conjunction right after the new moon. Was there anything between the new moon in Cancer and the Mars south node conjunction that we need to talk about? I mean, I don't have anything written There's down. There's literally sure. only lunar aspects, I think. Yeah, it's just kind of mellow working working with what the new moon offered up. Okay. Oh, so there, there's Jupiter's direct station, right? Which or is are we not just quite be- there? We, it's, it's just before the new moon, the Jupiter station. Uh, I think it's the 10th. We kind of okay, missed so that completely. That. <laughs> we should go back. Yeah. So before, one of the things we did is before we started talking, we all agreed that the full moon eclipse at the end of the month seemed like a really tense and really problematic aspect. And we wanted to see if there's any other major really positive alignments that we could focus on to kind of balance it out so that it's not all doom and gloom discussion. Uh, And the one thing I think we all agreed on was the Jupiter stationing direct at 13 degrees of Scorpio towards the middle of the month uh, was uh, one of the more positive things that's going to happen this month. And that if we were going to try to emphasize something that was really positive, that's the one aspect that we would really focus on to try to hype up as a sort of counterbalancing influence, yeah, it's favorable. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, mean, I don't, I don't I know about. Over, full, I don't. I don't know about hype. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I just wanted to because you know I think um, astrologers sometimes open themselves to criticism. Sometimes one of a criticism of astrologers is they can focus too much on the negative things, and and surely there's got to be some positive things going on for somebody somewhere. And so our thing was just that. If we were going to try to highlight what the most positive thing was this month, that Jupiter station seems to be seems to be it. Yeah, I think it's um, useful, um, and it's particularly useful in the context of all the stuff that's getting churned up this month. Um, for w- one reason being that Jupiter is in Mars's sign, so there's n- helping to learn from the Mars stuff that's going down. Right and to learn from and to repair. Furthermore, uh, you know the uh, I don't know when I kind of feel out the the themes of Jupiter in Scorpio, um, I'm I keep being led back to the idea of brewing medicine from poison. Mm. You know there are, and that that's not just like a a magical metaphor. There are num there are a great number of real medicines mm. that start as the poison as nature's poisons. Yes. Um, and so, and there's, there's a fair amount of poison going around this month. And so therefore we have a lot of base material to make medicine. To transmute. Yeah. And it is, I mean, Jupiter station direct is bringing a sense of, okay, now we're going to just carry forward with whether it's the medicine making or whether it's just whatever themes you're dealing with, with Jupiter and Scorpio, we get to, push forward. Uh, we get to maybe restart if that's been a little slow, but it definitely feels like, look, relatively speaking, even I cannot say this is enough to counteract the South Node um, eclipse at the end of the month, but it is it is something that I think is going to give a little lift at the start of the month. And it, it's close-ish to when the sun trines Jupiter. So there is, there is something that is uh, sort of tweaking or showing a sense of hope perhaps. Yeah, I think it's I think it's uh the the single word that I would use for Jupiter going direct is that it's useful. Yeah. You can do something productive or um constructive with it, I guess. Yeah, I think it's exactly kind of what we need for this month. 
it's going to be it's not just like a disconnected good thing um which may you know balance out some of the bad things it's actually the kind of good thing that you need to work with the you know the 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 difficult things yeah that's a really good point austin because of course jupiter is in mars's sign so it is giving a little lift tiny well and yeah. it's not exactly aspecting, but it's not that far off uh, squaring that nodal axis. It's, you know, Mercury uh, is uh, is squaring it. You know, like Mars doesn't get a full 10 degrees away from Jupiter. It's, you know, Jupiter can see all that happening pretty clearly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if this was a, a natal chart and I was looking at this, that would be a major first. You, I mean, you'd have if this is like a day chart, for example, you would have Mars indicating the problematic area wherever it falls especially by house and indicating an um, area of strife or or difficulty but then having jupiter in that superior sign based square overcoming mars with reception would be a major mitigating factor where there's this yes but uh there's a counterbalancing sort of indication of something positive that comes after that makes that mars not as bad as it as it could be either in balancing it out and restraining it somewhat, or at least if it can't restrain it, um, having the positive sort of healing thing that comes afterwards so that there's the initial injury, but then there's later a chance to have it reconciled or have it be healed in some way so that you can still be productive and it's not worst case scenario. Yeah. Well, and that's, um, it's worth noting that that's what, that's the, uh, that's the story the moon is going to tell a number of different times, right? So whenever the moon is in, for example, a fixed sign, first it's going to aspect Jupiter, or excuse me, first it's going to aspect Mars, and then it's going to aspect Jupiter, right? We're going to get that. It's going to be one and then the other. It's going to be Mars first and then Jupiter, uh, as far as the way that the, the moon activates that pairing. Mm. Which yeah, I like that. Yeah, that's really nice, Austin. It's like you, you get really annoyed about something, and then you we can all know that within a relatively short space of time, there is some sort of perspective or context that comes in that can help you channel that anger into something a little bit better than just, I hate you leave. Right. Or you get into a little something and then you're like, hold on. Okay. There's some good stuff that came up. Like, yeah. you know, we can um, work with this. We, we should talk about this. Yeah. Yeah. I like this. Okay. So then we have to now go where we have to go. Yeah. <laughs> there is no more delaying. Uh, now that we've said all of that, like now we can move on to the last part of the the month and the second lunation that occurs, which is uh, you got it. It's a lot of things. Yeah. So it's not only a full moon. So the second lunation of the month is a full moon that takes place uh, towards the end of July on July twenty seventh, and the moon makes it to four degrees of Aquarius, where it opposes the sun at four degrees of Leo, and of course every time. The moon opposes the sun. That's when a full moon takes place. But this also happens to take place very close to the nodal axis, where the north node is at five degrees of Leo and the south node is at five degrees of Aquarius. So the sun and moon are opposing each other within a degree of the nodal axis. So therefore, this is also a lunar eclipse. And this lunar eclipse is also taking place very close to. Mars, which is at three degrees of Aquarius retrograde at this point. So Mars is at three Aquarius conjoining the moon at four Aquarius and conjoining the south node at five Aquarius. And then if all of that wasn't enough, all of this is squaring Uranus, which 
has freshly ingressed into Taurus a few weeks ago and therefore is is made it up to two degrees of Taurus at this point, which is close enough to form a pretty close, pretty tight square uh, from two degrees of Taurus to Mars at three Aquarius and to the luminaries at four Aquarius and four Leo. And then there's one other thing, which is that it's not just that all that's happening, but almost simultaneously, Mercury, of course, is stationing retrograde at 23 Leo on July 25th and 26th and, and 27th, basically. So it's slowing down and stationing almost simultaneously right around the same time that this lunar eclipse takes place. Yep. Yes, these are the June sort of sorry July 26 27 28 there's just more happening astrologically on those few dates this month than any other day Mercury retrograde the eclipse sun mars opposition becomes exact just to add extra heat basically yeah it's like any one of those things would have sort of drawn your attention yeah anyone on on their own yeah but then you add like four or five of them together all occurring at the same time basically yeah and it's it's a very spectacular event in terms of just how tight the lunation is to the nodes itself like that would be phenomenal by itself but it it does feel i've been talking with clients who've got very early you know aquarius placements or even early leo placements about the volatility and the combustibility like the combustible nature of this that this is where once the moon comes in everything we were talking about with Mars South Node, it just gets heightened. It's like goes to the nth degree because it's much harder to contain emotional reactiveness when the moon and Mars are together. It's almost like a signature thing that happens when the moon and Mars get together. And we're getting the moon and Mars get together this month under very unique and unusual circumstances. Yeah. And it's worth noting that this is the day after the Sun-Mars opposition. And the Sun-Mars opposition is the the brightest point in the entire Mars cycle and that it's the, the dead center of the retrograde. It's, um, uh, it's, uh, parallel to, um, for example, the Mercury sun conjunction, which happens in the middle of every Mercury retrograde, but for Mars and the other outer or the other superior planets, it's, it's the opposition rather than the conjunction with the sun that defines the middle. And so that's always a key point in the Mars retrograde cycle and it just so happens that we get a, a total lunar eclipse here. And that it's interesting because it ties a lot of our different factors together, you know, our um, sort of longer term, like this year factors, right? It ties the Mars retrograde, which is one of this year's big things, together with Uranus in Taurus, which is one of this year's big things, with the eclipse cycle, right? And so there's there's a lot of concept. There's a lot. There are a lot of consequential things that are all wrapped up uh, into this one lunation, and then you know Mercury, Mercury retrograde station for bonus points, right? And so yeah, I, and, and the eclipse cycle you mentioned is like the series of eclipses that have been bouncing back and forth between Leo and Aquarius for the past year or so. Mm-hmm. Well, this is the you know it's funny because last year we had um, the big solar eclipse in Leo. The total solar eclipse in Leo was the big story. And so this year we get a big lunar eclipse in a total lunar eclipse in Aquarius. We have sort of the uh, the the lunar south node complement to the, the north node solar one from last year. And so I'm personally very interested in what this is going to look like in the newspapers. Mm. 
it's just too much for um, for larger events to not pivot around. And that doesn't mean that they pivot around. That doesn't mean that they pivot the second it happens, right? With a uh, with a lunar eclipse, generally speaking, traditionally, it basically gets a month to unpack itself. Um, there will probably be some things around the lunar eclipse, but it it it's um, you know you want to wait for that cycle to uh, to sort of show you everything it's got over the over the next uh, month or so. Yeah, I mean at least I mean because these are to the extent that node eclipses are only happening every six months. And so they're, they're almost setting a precedent still and sometimes bringing to culmination or completion things that have been building up for six months since the previous set of eclipses and sometimes setting a new, not new cycle completely, but at least a continuation of something that might not fully resolve until the next set of eclipses six months later. Yeah. Well, and, and generally it's solars get six months and, um, lunars get, uh, get a month. I mean, that's, that's some, that, that that's a, a, an, uh, excuse me, a position you will see a lot of traditional texts take, but, um, what you're saying is also true. And also this is, uh, to a certain degree, the entire transit of the nodes through Leo and Aquarius can be seen meaningfully as one process with uh, important shifts and installments every six months. And so we are very close to the end. I believe we have one more eclipse on this axis um, before we're done. Um, once we complete uh, this, th- the, these, this the, these third quarter eclipses. Right. And so that's going to be what, six months from, from then. So in like January. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the, the one, the ones in January are half into the new cycle and half uh, completing the old, mm. which, the eclipses do okay so we're moving away from leo aquarius axis to cancer capricorn Mm -hmm. yeah it looks like january we have an eclipse in capricorn and an eclipse very early in leo which will be so for some people it'll be interesting to see you know if this does coincide with a major event for you this aquarius eclipse look back and see to what extent that event or some of the the origins of it haven't been building up the whole time that we've been having some of these eclipses in Leo and Aquarius over the past year, year and a half. Yeah. I think in retrospect, you can almost always see the process. Mm -hmm. So just on a practical level, right, there's a lot going on here. And I think that um, don't freak out. (laughs) You know, it might be that life gets really fast um, uh, around this period, that there's a lot going on. Um, that's okay. That happens. Don't freak out. And for all the astrologers or students of astrology, don't look at this and obsess about all the things that could go wrong. Yeah. And I think that's a good point because we do get a little bit of prep time with the Mars South node aspects coming through in the same way, Austin, that you were saying for the Mars South node conjunction the week before, it's not brand new material. It's not brand new territory. It's just the activation or the stirring up of things that we are already starting to tune into because we're already past that first Mars South node aspect. Yeah. And it's, um, in terms of preparing, um, you know, um, how should we say, uh, um, spinning negative fantasies about how bad that could Mm, be is not preparing. It's not productive. (laughs) That's just catastrophizing. Yeah. And sure, the symbols are there to do that. And some bad things will happen to some people, right? But um, assuming that that's definitely going to be the case and that's totally worth investing your emotional energy in is um, rather uncalled for. 
one of the things I find is that that's funny sometimes is that astrologers, because especially if you work with a, a clients and you can sometimes see the worst case scenarios or you know what the worst case scenario is of a specific transit or alignment or activation or whatever placement, you can sometimes have a tendency to assume or or sometimes reluctantly think that the worst case scenario, just because you know what it is, will be the manifestation. But oftentimes when you get there, the thing happens and sometimes it's like not great or, or something not great happens that's not, let's say not preferable in terms of your field of experience, but it ends up being a lot more moderate or not as bad as you initially thought it could be. And that's often an interesting thing then as an astrologer figuring out how to sort of moderate your expectations so that even though you 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 know what the extreme versions of positive or negative are of a specific thing that you don't sort of jump to the conclusion that it's always going to be that yeah absolutely yeah that's still a sort of lesson that i'm working on sometimes and like looking at transits Totally. I mean, one of the things that comes up for me when I sometimes see Moon Mars stuff for clients or even for myself is I always think, you know, Mars is more of the surmountable problem. So there's a problem, but it, it's manageable or, you know, you can, it can be solved or fixed or remediated at least. But Moon Mars stuff can be, for instance, it can be an infection or it can be a cut or something. And it's, again, it's not, you're not going to cut your foot off, but just be careful with knives, for instance, or, um, you might get a little bit of an inflammation, so take the medicine. Don't you know delay type of thing. Um, just to give an example, like for people, for instance, who might be seeing this in their sixth house and think they're going to have a horrific health thing, you know, maybe you just get a bug bite or something, and you have a little bit of a weird reaction to it or something like that. Yeah, in you know, in general, yeah, and so all that said, you know, it's a gnarly couple days. It's a gnarly week, um, and so just you know, generally speaking, like I'm not going to go out of my way to engage in high risk activities at this time. Um, no, that's just, <laughs> you know? that's just sure. smart decision making right. based on the insight we have from astrology. And, you know, I will probably expose myself less to the other humans because they will, um, uh, in, uh, uh, they will in general be less pleasant and in not good spaces themselves, you know? Um, it's an even worse time to be on Facebook than normal. <laughs> yeah. And in the, in the elections this month, all of the elections that Lisa found were largely for like the first half of the month. Once you start before you start getting close to this whole cluster of stuff, which is good. That makes sense. Not a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the annoying thing from that, from an electional perspective is that we finally have a planet in some dignity because we've got the sun in Leo but we do have to wait for the first portion of that period to pass for this eclipse to go before that can be of any benefit. Yeah, the sun's got its right. hands full here. Yeah, it's definitely busy fighting off something. Yeah, I mean, this whole, whole thing, though, raises an interesting discussion about how, how as astrologers do we discuss you know, aspects or alignments like this that are potentially negative and, and give the full range of possible manifestations without necessarily freaking people out. Yeah, well, it's a tricky line to walk. I mean, um, there are people who are freaked out by everything. Yeah. And so obviously you can't not freak anybody out if you actually talk about life and that bad things sometimes happen. Right. And so it's, you know, to what, mm, to, to who are you talking? Right. You know, I have clients who, um, who I'm much more tender and motherly with, 
And I have clients who want to hear it straight and want to hear the worst case. And it's not a problem for them to, to process that. Right. And we all have, diff- you know, you, people have different levels of resilience and fragility and everybody has their limit. Right. Um, but you know, we, we do that, you know, we make those calls when we talk to people anyway. Um, you know, just in conversation. Yeah, outside, and even so, outside the consulting room, those calls are made. Yeah, it's just part of dealing with human beings and being a human being, knowing what your limit is. Yeah, and certain people, I mean, clients or friends, what have you, they like it straight on some topics, but on other topics, they need a little bit more uh, finessing, if you like. Yeah, well, right, we've got, you know, all of us have spaces that are a little bit more tender, and we need, uh, <laughs> you know, we need we need to be handled gently, to handle gently. around certain issues yeah. where we can be rough and tough on others, you know. Yeah, but it it is a good point, Chris, and it, it is something actually that I notice students struggle a lot with. Is oh my gosh, this looks like a difficult astrological configuration. How the hell am I actually supposed to talk about this with a client? And you know, the initial response is often with great delicacy because you want to find some way of expressing hopefully with a little bit of specificity i find that's helpful if you've got to talk about something a little bit more difficult is it's not everything going bad it's not the whole thing the roof is not falling down but there is one particular problem that might become quite intense at that particular time and of course the symbolism is something that can guide us towards the nature or the area of that particular issue definitely that makes a lot of sense um, all right. Well, that kind of brings us to the end of the month because there's only a few days, you know, left in the month after that eclipse and the moon moves through the rest of Aquarius and then moves into Pisces where there's a nice little trine to Jupiter and then an opposition with the Venus, which almost has some redeeming uh, qualities a few days after the eclipse. Mercury, of course, is going to be retrograde for three weeks at this point in Leo um, as we said earlier, eventually in August, it, it only gets back as far as I think 11 degrees of Leo. So it doesn't oppose Mars again, but it is at least retrograde in the same sign of, as Mars for the next few weeks for whatever that's worth. Um, but but you know that takes us into the territory of August, which we're going to have to shelve until our next episode. Did we say- Did we get it? Sorry, go Austin. I was just going to say, you know, in the first week of August, we get another exciting square between Mars and Uranus. Yeah. So August begins with uh, another installment in the uh, in the season's story. Yes. Right. In the the retrograde Mars saga. So, what's the title for the, this episode? I'd written down a title that was uh, Indiana Jones and the Full Moon of Doom. Uh, that was one of my, my working title for the month. I don't think I can fit that onto a single line, though. Do you guys have a better? Usually, it's like astrological forecast for July 2018 uh, colon keyword. So, what, what's my keyword for this month? <laughs> um, blood for the blood god. <laughs> oh gosh. Uh, I mean, you know, a softer approach is maybe I don't even one. We just need one word. Having trouble with one word. Well, I mean, it's a matter of what I can fit onto it. But yeah, I mean, ideally, like the last one was Mars retrograde because that was the main thing we focused on last month, and I f- was able to fit that onto a line. So I could probably fit like two. Well, words. lunar eclipse. I mean, that's that's the signature event. Lunar eclipse. Yeah, but okay. that's boring. I mean, um. <laughs> that is boring. Um, can I say like lunar eclipse of doom if I can fit that on, or is that going to create 
major blowback from well it is negative so um <laughs> okay i could put happy no eclipse. that would just be lying that's we've got to we've got to use our okay. vocab here to get a good word uh purification that's your word austin from like yeah this the mars south node we could we use pre yeah um purif- enter the purifier yeah. <laughs> <laughs> welcome the fires of purification that's not one word but no, and that that um, I don't think that's even remotely less menacing. That's true. <laughs> so, fires of purification, not menacing. Okay, all right. Well, we'll have to think about this. I'll kick around some titles. I'll get back to you guys. If any of our early access patrons uh, listening to this before I actually release the episode have a good idea for a, a concise title, definitely let it, write us in and let us know. And um, yeah, this should be out before the end of July. So any final thoughts, final words before we wrap up for the month? Uh, good luck. <laughs> I don't know. It's going to be intense. Uh, but pretend, I like, I think, Austin, what you said about Jupiter's involvement and how there's a lot of raw material that we can use for healing, like the poisons becoming the medicine. I think that's a really nice um, analogy or, or image to, for people to keep in mind for this month. Yeah, I would also say, you know, just wait, wait and see. Yeah, you know, you know, this stuff is coming. Just you know, um, make don't um, should we say don't overexpose yourself to the downside. You know, don't be like I'm going to go skydiving during the lunar eclipse. It'll be beautiful. Just you know, um, just you know, maybe you know, wait and see and. Maybe um, not necessarily take a step back, but, um, you know, proceed with just giving things a little bit more distance. Like, all right, well, you know, we'll see how this goes and we'll see how, you know, this works out. Like um, the more the more space you can give all this to do what it's going to do, I think the easier it's going to be. Um, you know, just wait, wait and see what things mean before freaking out about them. Don't freak out about what, what this could mean. Cause again, all this Mars stuff is, you know, it's in the middle of changing. It's going over this, this area three times, you know, things are in process. And so don't judge, uh, don't, don't judge final outcomes by how things look at one point in the process. It's another way of getting distance and just, just backing up. And that doesn't mean looking away, but just, you know, wait and see. Mm. Right, because things can have a, a way of looking worse in the moment when they've immediately happened than they do later in retrospect and realizing that you have like a f- your full life ahead of you or what have you versus just whatever the immediate thing is, even if it seems like a major catastrophe. Uh, sometimes the intensity of the moment can blow things out of proportion and, and lead you to have a lack of uh, sort of depth of field of, of scope of the full meaning of everything as it will look later on. Yeah, it's yeah, exactly. it's that depth of perception I think. If it gets really intense or you feel like you're in a pressure situation, take that step back. Give yourself that space because context and perspective can really shift things. Definitely. All right, cool. Well, I think on that note then that's that's probably the end of the episode for this month. So we're going to have to have to call it a day and we will reconvene here again in about 4 weeks in order to Will we be at the, I mean, we will actually are going to have to schedule <gasps> recording our next forecasting episode, like somewhere around that time. We'll so, do it the week before, earlier that oh, week or something. Oh, but uh, it's going to, it would be so much better to be able to talk about what went down. Uh, and oh, do it after. Even if it's just a few days. 
Okay. Like so not, maybe not, we'll... be, not addressing that when it comes out, you know, or when the, I don't know, it seems, it seems like a pity to not be able to talk about it until like two months from now. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll talk about, so it's happening on the 27th, which is like a Friday. So we could maybe record the next forecast episode later than we usually do and then get it edited quickly and release it much closer to the end of the month than, than normal. So I think it'd be worth it. Okay. Yeah. We could do it like on, yeah. A couple of days after or something. Yeah. Sure. That would make sense. Cool. All right, guys. Well, thanks a lot for, for joining me today. This has been awesome and it's good to get back into the flow of things. It feels like it's been a while since we, we did, but it's good to be back doing the monthly forecast episodes again now that we've we've all survived the United Astrology Conference. Yes. It's like a touchstone, actually, like each month doing this. So it's, it is nice to be back in our groove. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And it'll be, I'm looking forward to getting to look back on this month. Yeah, I'm excited to see. Yeah, I agree with you, Austin. I think that it's a good strategy. Definitely. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. Thanks for all of our audience members. We had actually a pretty big audience today of like 20 or 30 people uh, attending this episode live who are patrons who uh, support the podcast each month and who joined us today and asked some questions and posed some comments in the comments section. So thanks, everyone, for doing that today. That was great. Uh, it's kind of like doing the you know the episode we did at, at UAC, which was live in front of an audience, but a little mini version of that each month. Um, thanks also to all of our patrons who support the podcast each month, since that's what makes all of this possible, especially keeping up the pace of doing four to six episodes a month, uh, four standard episodes, and then two that are just available for patrons. Um, and yeah, and thanks also that uh, we've been getting some new reviews on iTunes. And I just wanted to thank people who are going out of their way to give us a good rating on iTunes. I appreciate it. And it helps other people find the podcast. So if you listen to us there, make sure to rate the podcast and it'll help help the show to get, continue to grow and spread. So that's it for this episode. So thanks everyone for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.